Hey everyone, it's Ashton. Today I have a little gift for you. This is Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 2. Part 1 was very well liked by all of you, so I thought that you guys would enjoy Part 2 that was initially a Patreon exclusive. Let me know what you guys think, and I hope you enjoy. See you soon. Bye. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. My name is Ashton, and this is the second Patreon-exclusive episode and part two of Cruise Ship Disappearances. Back by popular demand, I have a few more disappearances to tell you about, along with a special survival tale at the end. So stay tuned. Let's get into it. Up first is the disappearance of Amy Lynn Bradley. Amy Lynn Bradley was born on May 12, 1974, in Petersburg, Virginia. Amy's parents were Ron and Iva Bradley, and she had a younger brother named Brad, Brad Bradley. The family boarded the Royal Caribbean Rhapsody of the Sea in late March of 1998, and they headed off on what they expected to be a fun and relaxing family vacation. Amy was 23 at the time and had recently graduated from Longwood University with a degree in physical education. On March 23, 1998, the ship was in international waters heading from Aruba towards Curacao. That evening, Amy and her brother Brad spent their time in the, sh in the ship's nightclub. They were filmed by a videographer dancing and enjoying their time. Amy can be seen in the footage dancing with the bass player of the ship's band called Blue Orchard. His name was Alistair Douglas. Brad headed back to their room around 3.35 a.m. and Amy followed a few minutes later around 3.40 a.m. Amy mentioned to her brother that she was feeling a little seasick, so she decided to sleep out on the balcony of their room. Brad told his sister he loved her before heading to bed, and that would be the last time he would see her. Early on the 24th of March, Amy's father, Ron, claims that he woke up between 5.15 and 5.30 and saw Amy sleeping on the patio before falling back asleep. Around 30 minutes later, he woke up again, and this time he noticed that the patio door was slightly open, and Amy was no longer sleeping on the patio. He got up and began to search for his daughter, knowing that it was unlike her to be up that early and also to go somewhere without telling somewhere, someone where she was going. But Ron couldn't find Amy anywhere. And around 6.30 a.m., he woke up his wife and his son. The family noticed that Amy had changed her clothes and her cigarettes and lighter were missing. So it appeared as though she was planning on going somewhere that morning. The family reported Amy missing to the crew members on board. 
they pled with the crew to keep the passengers from disembarking, knowing that if someone had taken Amy, this would give them ample opportunity to sneak her off the ship and take her wherever they wanted to take her. They eventually issued a ship-wide announcement at 7.50 a.m. asking Amy to come to the purser's desk. But she never did. And by that point, many of the passengers had already gotten off the ship. Four hours later, the crew members searched the ship, but there was no sign of Amy. The authorities were informed, and the Netherlands Antilles Coast Guard launched a search for Amy. They initially believed that she had fallen or jumped overboard, but Amy was a lifeguard, and she was a very strong swimmer. Plus, the ship wasn't that far from shore at the time of her disappearance, so this really didn't seem very likely. And Amy had a lot going for her at home, so her family was adamant that she wouldn't have taken her own life. After four days, the search for Amy ended, and there was no evidence to be found. There wasn't a lot to go off of in terms of the investigation. There was a witness that claimed that she saw Amy and Alistair Douglas, the bass player from the night before, walking together on one of the decks. And then approximately 10 minutes later, Douglas returned by himself. It's also reported that members of the band, including Douglas, expressed that they were sorry about what happened to Amy before any formal announcement of, had even been made of her disappearance. So that's super suspicious. A couple also reported seeing a woman matching Amy's description on the elevator carrying cigarettes and a lighter. According to Amy's parents, when they appeared on the Dr. Phil show, they noticed that the crew members were paying a lot of attention to Amy. At one point, her father remembered that one of the waiters asked for Amy's name and said that they wanted to take her to Carlos and Charlie's restaurant when, they, when the ship was docked in Aruba. When he asked Amy about it, Amy responded, quote, I wouldn't go and do anything with any of those crew members. They give me the creeps, end quote. In August of 1998, a Canadian tourist claimed to see a woman who he believed was Amy walking along a Curacao beach with two men. He claims that she was trying to get his attention and that her tattoos were identical to Amy's. But this was never corroborated and nothing came of it. In 1999, the Bradley family received an email, and this email was from a man named Frank Jones. He claimed to be a Navy, a Navy SEAL, and he told the family that he had seen Amy and that she was being held captive by Colombian personnel in a housing complex surrounded by barbed wire. But he claimed that he had a team that could rescue her. And the, this team gave an accurate description of Amy's tattoos, and they sang the lullaby that Amy's mother used to sing to her. The Bradleys sent Jones a total of $210,000 to fund the setup for Amy's search, and they expected a call from Jones and his team for the results of the rescue mission that never came. Jones had made up the story and had tried to scam the Bradleys out of money. In February of 2002, federal prosecutors in Richmond charged him with defrauding the 
Bradley's of $24,444 and the National Missing Children's Organization of $186,416. Jones pled guilty in April of mail fraud and was sentenced to five years in prison. What a horrible person. One of the scariest sightings for me was in 2005, the Bradleys received an email containing a photo of a woman who appeared to be Amy, lying on a bed in her underwear. A member of an organization that locates sex trafficking victims on adult websites noticed the photo and thought it could possibly be Amy. The woman was identified as a sex worker named Jazz, but she definitely looks similar to Amy. This is a statement from Amy's mother, Iva, on the International Cruise Victims website, quote, The only known facts that we have are, my husband and I took a cruise with our two children and returned home without our daughter, Amy. Her brother, Brad, returned home to Virginia without his sister, end quote. On March 24, 2010, Amy Lynn Bradley was declared legally dead and the investigation into her disappearance is still ongoing. The FBI has offered a $25,000 reward for any information that could potentially lead to the recovery of Amy Lynn Bradley or lead to an arrest or conviction of the person responsible for Amy's disappearance. On top of that, the family is offering $250,000 for information leading to her safe return and a reward of $50,000 for information leading to her current location. But as of 2022, she still remains missing and there's no new information. The next disappearance that we'll be discussing is the disappearance of Annette Meisner. 37-year-old Annette Meisner embarked on a nine-day cruise with her daughter and her parents on the Carnival Pride. Annette's mother won the trip in a raffle, and the family was looking forward to spending time together. On December 4, 2004, the last night of the cruise, while the ship was off the coast of Ensenada, Mexico, Annette was planning on meeting her parents to play bingo at 10 p.m. She had won bingo twice on the trip already, and she was looking forward to playing again that night. When Annette didn't show up to bingo, her family began looking for her. One of the waitresses claimed that she saw Annette in the casino around 9.30, and she was caught on camera talking to a crew member. While the family was looking around the ship, a page came over the intercom calling Annette to notify that her that her purse had been found by crew members. Annette's beaded purse was found with beads missing near a smoking deck, but her family said that she would have avoided that deck for that reason. A passenger stated that a nearby camera for the deck was covered, so there was no footage of her on the deck. There was also a few spots, spots of blood found on the deck near her purse, and the purse itself was, like I said, missing some beads, which led her family to believe that she was involved in some sort of struggle prior to her disappearance. The ship was searched for several hours and there was no sign of Annette. The ship eventually turned around after about three hours to search for her in the water. Coast Guard aircraft and a Navy ship also joined in the 16-hour search for Annette before the FBI began its investigation. 
Her husband, who is not on the cruise, believes that if the ship had turned around faster, that they may have been able to find a net. He eventually sued Carnival Cruise Lines for $15,000. The couple had filed for bankruptcy prior to her disappearance, but everyone claims that Annette was doing well and had no reason to want to end her life by jumping overboard, as the authorities had suspected. Her family strongly believed that something nefarious happened that night to her, but nothing has ever come of it. Annette Meisner hasn't been seen since, and she was declared legally dead in 2005. The final disappearance that we'll be discussing is the disappearance of Fariba Amani. On February 29, 2012, Fariba Amani was traveling on a Bahamas celebration cruise with her boyfriend when she disappeared somewhere between the Bahamas and Florida. Her boyfriend claimed that he last saw her at the ship's gift shop, and then he headed to the casino by himself. When he later returned to their cabin, Fariba was not there. He claims he eventually went to bed, and then he, when he woke up, she still had not returned to their room. He claims he spent about an hour searching for her on the ship, and when he couldn't find her, he alerted the, sh the ship crew, and they helped search for Fariba as well, but to no avail. The Coast Guard began an 84-hour search for Fariba, spanning 10,000 kilometers, while the police and FBI searched the ship for evidence. But nothing has ever been found. Fariba's family suspects that her boyfriend had something to do with her disappearance. They claim that prior to the trip, Fariba had suspicions that her boyfriend was cheating on her, and it seemed as though the relationship had been deteriorating. The family claims they never met her boyfriend in the eight months prior to the cruise that they had been dating, and he didn't reach out to the family after the fact either, which was really strange. He was never considered an official suspect, and as of 2022, Fariba Amani has still not been located. Okay, I promised you all a survival tale, and I am going to deliver. Shortly after I released Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I found an article that caught my attention. A 28-year-old man named James Michael Grimes was traveling on a carnival cruise with his family in November of 2022 on what was supposed to be a relaxing Thanksgiving holiday. It turned out to be anything but relaxing. The first night, November 23rd, James was enjoying his vacation. He had a few drinks, he won a free drink in an air, air guitar contest, and this would be his last memory before waking up floating in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico with no cruise ship in sight. When his sister couldn't find him the next morning, she reported him missing. This prompted Carnival Cruise Line and the U.S. Coast Guard to begin a search for him. Then, a Thanksgiving miracle. James saw two boats and he began to swim towards them. He eventually got close enough that someone on the deck could see him and hear him calling for help. They let him know that the Coast Guard was on their way, and he was rescued by Coast Guard members 20 hours after he went missing. Naked and exhausted, but alive, struggling to stay afloat in the Gulf of Mexico. 
He claims that the thought of his nine-year-old daughter is what kept him going. So just a crazy story. 20 hours in the ocean, treading water, fighting off sharks, waves, jellyfish, whatever, everything. It's just crazy. And that is part two of cruise ship disappearances. I hope you all enjoyed it. I told one of my coworkers who's currently on a cruise, maybe to skip this week's episode until she gets back. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. And thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. I really appreciate it. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. New Patreon episodes monthly plus more exclusive content just for you. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or a correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. Bye.